0: What do you intend no, to do about Congressman Santos? I try to stick by the Constitution. The voters elected him to serve. If there is a concern and he has to go through the ethics,
1: we'll let him move through that.
0: Yeah, um, funny thing about going through the ethics, Mr. McCarthy. Well, I
2: don't know why I came here tonight. Let's talk. I got the feeling something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair,
3: and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle
0: with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, and... Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Groves, KSO, Eugene's, KEPW. In Lanchester, Pennsylvania on W News, Maui, Hawaii's, KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's, WLPP. Rochester, New York's, WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Conquer New Hampshire's WNHN Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's W-A-D-R in Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, K-T-N-F. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdun Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Yes, news with context, if you can imagine such a thing. What
3: a concept.
0: Glad to have you here. Glad to have you here as well, Desi Doyen. Hi, how are you?
3: (laughs) Doing okay.
0: As the bipartisan House Select Committee investigating the Donald Trump incited January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and the disgraced former presidents. Many failed attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election wrapped up their work at the end of last year. They referred then Republican leader, now House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and three other GOP lawmakers to House ethics investigators, charging that those uh, four members of Congress should face probes and perhaps penalties of some sort for their refusal to comply With lawful congressional subpoenas that after months long standoffs over their testimony, which they never gave to the committee, despite the subpoenas, the committees had issued those subpoenas in May for the testimony of McCarthy. As well as uh, Congressman Jim, uh, Jim Jordan of Ohio, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, and Andy Biggs of Arizona, saying that all had crucial information to share about the January 6th attack and the actions of former President Donald Trump on that fateful day, on or before or after that fateful day, in truth. But all of them defied the lawful congressional order for testimony and documents. And also, more recently, as you may have heard, there have been referrals to the House Ethics Committee regarding new New York Congressman George Santos, who, as it turns out, lied to voters about pretty much everything in his life from top to bottom, from his actual name to his family history, to the schools that he attended or actually didn't, to his religion, to the jobs that he held, etc. For his part... Freshly minted GOP House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said that fellow Republican uh, Santos, as you heard at the top there, should go through the ethics procedure, though he wasn't particularly specific about what that actually means. In fact, there are actually two ethics procedures, at least in the House. One, the bipartisan House Ethics Committee, which operates in secret and rarely takes any actual action, and two, the bipartisan Office of Congressional Ethics, or OCE, which was created back in 2008 and actually makes its findings public. That office, the OCE, might actually have taken action on the January 6 complaints for McCarthy and Jordan and Perry and Biggs, as well as for Santos, but for the fact that, according to my guest joining us momentarily, House Republicans, in approving their new rules package for the 118th Congress last week, seem to have all but killed the Office of Congressional Ethics. How
3: convenient.
0: Longtime congressional ethics expert and lobbyist for public citizen Craig Holman will join us momentarily to explain what McCarthy and the Republicans just did. And if there is anything that can be done about it, or if this means that there will be essentially zero ethics accountability in the U.S. House for at least the next two years, at least for Republicans anyway. But first, speaking of Republicans and the need for same accountability... Oh, this story may drive you nuts, Desi (laughs) Dwayne.
3: Oh, goody. It's
0: a short drive, I know. But still... Uh, so we ended uh, yesterday's program, you may recall, discussing the boom in solar manufacturing that's now taking place across the U.S., thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act passed last year by Democrats and only Democrats in Congress, signed by President Biden, offering huge incentives to companies to expand the manufacturing of clean, renewable energy project, uh, products here in the U.S., and I suspect we're going to see a lot of that in the coming months as the Inflation Reduction Act kicks in and billions billions are spent to bring back manufacturing jobs to the U.S. Finally, even as Republicans in the House are pretending that they want to bring back manufacturing jobs, uh, Democrats are actually doing it and Republicans were opposing it. Last year. At the same time, in the great Commonwealth of Virginia, Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin is apparently focused on things other than jobs. He has asked the state legislature to send him a new 15 week ban on abortion rights in Virginia, even after Republicans took a beating on the issue across the country last year. But while Republicans won back a narrow majority in the Virginia State House back in 2021 when Yunkin was also elected, Democrats still hold a narrow majority of their own in the Virginia State Senate. A majority made slightly larger last week when they actually flipped a state Senate seat from red to blue in a special election there. And they hope to hold off the uh, GOP attempt in the bargain to rob still more freedoms from Virginia residents, at least until the next election. Now, unlike most states in the Union, Virginia holds its regular legislative elections in odd-numbered years. That means they will be holding their elections this November when Democrats in the state hope to keep their momentum from last November and from last week's special election to hold on to or increase their state Senate majority and potentially win back their majority in the Virginia House. So hopefully, I'm really hoping that state voters are paying attention to what Governor Yunkin is doing in the state, like... For example, in addition to seeking a 15-week ban on abortion rights, just last month he killed plans for a major new electric vehicle battery plant in the state. Because so much for bringing manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. as Republicans pretend to want. According to the Richmond Times-Dispatch this week, Governor Glenn Youngkin's decision to halt plans for a three and a half billion dollar Ford Motor Company battery plant cost one of the poorest areas of Virginia, a reported twenty five hundred jobs with the potential for more. If Ford had finalized the project, the plant would have gone in the Southern Virginia mega site at Berry Hill in Pittsylvania County. More than $200 million has been spent over 15 years in hopes of making Berry Hill a premier site and the largest publicly owned site in the Southeast. The plant would have been would have built lithium iron phosphate batteries for Ford's electric vehicles had it moved forward but governor yunkin has blocked it and in the meantime the location has still no tenant uh, however after yunkin intervened in late december to stop the plans for the plant in virginia because of its partnership with a Chinese company by the name of Contemporary Amperex Technology. Everything was put on hold. It actually wasn't put on hold. It was killed. Yunkin first publicly discussed his decision after giving the State of the Commonwealth address last week. Local officials said that they could not comment on the situation because of a non-disclosure agreement. But Democratic state lawmakers slammed Yunkin, saying that he put national politics in front of thousands of jobs in Virginia, as he is said to be considering a run for president in 2024. Democratic state Senator Ghazala Hashmi. In an email to the paper on Monday said, quote, During his campaign, the governor made a promise to bring economic development and manufacturing jobs to our communities that are struggling, especially in rural Virginia, to attract industries that offer competitive wages. The governor's decision to pull Virginia out of the competition for the new Ford facility puts the Commonwealth at a severe disadvantage.
3: Yes, it does. And it's a real shame.
0: Democratic State Senator Scott Survelle said in an interview that, quote, to deny people in the community jobs because you're in last place in Republican presidential primaries is gubernatorial malpractice. I mean, this is clearly just obvious to me that the governor's in some kind of out China bashing contest with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Governor Greg Abbott out of Texas, Survelle added. So apparently things were moving forward, big plans. It would have created 2,500 jobs. But Yunkin, who uh, I, I believe is termed out, I believe you only get one term as governor in Virginia.
3: That is my understanding as well.
0: Uh, so he's got to find something else to do, somewhere else to go from here. I guess he wants to <laughs> run for president. And apparently the way to run for president right now is to bash China, even if it means bashing the <laughs> the great American Ford Motor Company and thousands of jobs in your own home state.
3: Yeah, it's it's kind of shocking and sad that Youngkin would actually kill jobs in his own state for his own personal political gain.
0: Youngkin spokesperson uh, Macaulay Porter told the paper, quote, while Ford is an iconic American company, it became clear that this proposal would serve as a front For the Chinese Communist Party, (laughs) which could compromise our economic security and Virginians' personal privacy. A front for the Chinese Communist Party.
3: Yeah, that I think is delusional. Working with Ford
0: to build batteries for electric vehicles and at the cost now of more than 2,500 good-paying jobs in a rural area of the Commonwealth that really needs those jobs the employees of the plant would have been ford employees no they would not have been employees of the chinese communist party this plant will be built that's the thing it's going to be built ford is is reportedly looking at uh, michigan now for the plant americans will get those jobs they just won't be americans from virginia and I sure hope voters remember exactly this sort of thing when we get to November in Virginia. Republicans who represent the area in the uh, General Assembly did not respond to a chance to comment this week <laughs> to the paper.
3: I'll bet they didn't.
0: It, it's really kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, the uh, roughly 3,500 3, acre mega site at Berry Hill is a joint public partnership, owned by a regional authority along with the city of Danville and Pittsylvania County. City and county officials hope to attract major industries that would bring thousands of jobs to the site.
3: Except why would they if they can find out that, oh, $200 million in, we're going to cancel it because, you know, the governor wants to be president. Yep. So I don't think that's the kind of contract that any self-respecting corporation is going to, uh, to put up with that.
0: Uh, the uh, regional authority in this case, again, a, a public entity, has owned this park for nearly 15 years now, and no industry has located there yet. Mm. 15 years. And they had this huge potential contract with Ford Motor Companies, and Yunkin found a way to kill it. It just turned away a major project that would have been thousands of jobs in the area. So, you know, I know Americans have a short memory. I know that uh, November is a thousand years from now. (laughs) Yeah. But boy, I do hope they remember this. Uh, In his State of the Commonwealth address last week, Youngkin called on the General Assembly to forbid... Chinese Communist Party affiliated entities from buying farmland in Virginia. However, when the paper uh, inquired about this, the governor's office could provide no instance of this ever actually having happened. Yes. In Virginia.
3: Yes. It's all complete and total bunk. There is nothing of the kind actually happening. And I think people need to be aware that Republicans are working very hard in every single state, especially states that they control, to protect the oil and gas industry and kill off any competition in the Wyoming. Did you
0: say states they can troll? They control. Oh, they control. Okay. Yes. Because this is also a matter of. Trolling the, you know, (laughs) pretending we're going to give you manufacturing jobs. Psych!
3: We yeah. didn't really mean it. Yeah, no, they're just trying to kill off any kind of competition, and electric vehicles do um, pose a huge, huge competition for the oil and gas industry. In fact, in Wyoming, a uh, state assembly committee tried uh, to propose a law to ban electric vehicle sales in Wyoming by 2035 because, oh, you know, that's just going to be bad for our local oil and gas industry. It didn't survive committee, but the fact that they actually proposed it at all, yeah, I think, is a sign. And that we can expect more of this from Republicans. So
0: this suggestion by the paper, by the Richmond Times-Dispatch, that this is all about uh, 2024 presidential politics and trying to out-China-bash uh, mm-hmm. his, his competitors, you're suggesting, Desi Doyle, there's more to it. that yes. It's also about helping out the oil companies and c- keeping this uh, huge movement now towards electric vehicles yes. moving forward.
3: It can be all of the above.
0: It can, and it probably is. I suspect you're probably right. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with, uh, boy, oh boy, boy, howdy! What <laughs> the Republicans are now doing. This, the, keep in mind, they also ran on uh, they want to bring transparency to the to the to the U.S. House and restore ethics and order and whatever it is they're claiming.
3: You mean a gap between what <sighs> they say and reality
0: after they become elected? Yeah, uh, a, a, a yawning chasm at this <laughs> point. At least if my next guest is right about all of that. Craig Holman of Public Citizen joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. To help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves, you're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you, and your support is needed now more than ever at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you.
3: Do the right thing, do the right thing. Do it all the time, do it all the time. Make yourself right never mind them Don't you know you're not the only one suffering Do the right thing do the right thing Do it all the time do it all the time Make yourself right never mind them Don't you know you're not the only one suffering Do the right thing do the right thing Yeah do it all the Good time. luck with that, all
0: Fat Chance. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last week, as new members were finally being seated in the 118th Congress, the newly elected House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was asked in a congressional hallway about whether serial liar and fabulist George Santos, a newly elected congressman from New York, would or should be seated given all of the lies that have now come to light about the man and his apparently completely fabricated resume and life story. What do you intend to do about Congressman Santos? I try to stick by the Constitution. The voters elected him to serve. If there is a concern and
2: he has to go through the ethics, we'll let him move through that. But the one thing I think,
0: he, it's the voters who made that decision. He has to answer to the voters and the voters can make another decision in two years. You know, in America today, you're innocent until proven guilty. So just because somebody doesn't like the press you have, it's not me that can have can oversay what the voters say. The, the voters are the power. The voters made the decision and he has the right to serve. If there is something that rises to the occasion that he did something wrong, then we'll deal with that at that time. If there is something that he did wrong, well, uh, who would make that determination in Congress? McCarthy says that Santos will, quote, move through the ethics, but it's not entirely clear, at least to me, what he means by that. Prior to being derailed for a full week, just after the first of the year, thanks to a full 15 voice votes of the entire chamber of of the House before the new narrow GOP majority in the U.S. House was even able to complete its first order of business, selecting a new House speaker in Kevin McCarthy. There were warnings about the House's second piece of business in the new Congress. That would be the passage of a rules package needed to govern the House over the next two years. There were many warnings, in fact, warnings which became louder and more troubling as that first week, While trying to select a House Speaker included seemingly round-the-clock secret negotiations between McCarthy and the far, far far-right flank of his caucus, who made demands that would reportedly be sealed in some three still-secret pages of agreements attached to the eventually adopted rules package. The concessions McCarthy made to the obstructionist wing of his party, at least the ones that we know about, include lowering from five to one the number of members required to force a vote on ousting the speaker at any time. A change that the California Republican had previously said he would not accept, but of course he eventually did. Promises were also made to expand the size of the House Oversight Committee to allow more members of the Hard Right Freedom Caucus to sit on that high profile committee. And as we've learned more about since passage of the package, one of the promises made by McCarthy was to allow GOP House members to threaten to sink. The U.S. and perhaps global economies by making demands to cut spending on things like Medicare and Social Security in exchange for voting to raise the nation's debt limit. The amount of money that the government is allowed to borrow in order to pay for the stuff that has already been appropriated by Congress and presidents of both parties over the years. That debt ceiling according to the Treasury Secretary, will be reached this week, after which the department is able to take so-called extraordinary measures to prevent the first-ever U.S. government default on its debts. But those measures, in lieu of a simple vote to raise the government's borrowing limit, only work for so long before we simply run out of money to pay our bills. For the first time in history, That, experts from all sides of the political and economic spectrum warn, is likely to crash the economy, the stock markets, cost millions of jobs, and perhaps result in a nationwide or even worldwide recession or even depression. Even the threat of failing to raise the debt ceiling, as we saw in 2011, the last time Republicans were in control of at least one chamber of Congress, with a Democrat in the White House who they hoped to harm by pretending that all of this was an exercise to cut government spending and lower the national debt. It isn't. It's just a simple technical vote needed to borrow the money to pay for the stuff that we already bought. But even that threat, as we saw in 2011, of allowing the government to default resulted in credit agencies for the first time ever lowering the credit rating of the U.S. government, costing us hundreds of billions of dollars in the bargain. So much for Republicans pretending to give a damn about the national debt. But receiving far less attention in that GOP House rules package was another troubling new provision that has good government groups very concerned. Changes to how ethics-related complaints about members of Congress are to be handled. According to a summary of the GOP's proposed rules changes before passage, the package would impose term limits of eight years for the eight board members of the Office of Congressional Ethics, or OCE, an independent body established in 2008 that investigates complaints about sitting members of Congress. Any board member... Uh, members who have exceeded those term limits would be removed, according to this new rule. The rules package also requires the OCE board to appoint any new staff within 30 calendar days and that the hiring and compensation of those staff members would need to be approved by at least four sitting board members. Good government groups decried the proposed changes, saying they would hobble the way the OCE functions. Well, this is a very smart way to do it, uh, uh, Cedric Payne of the Campaign Legal Center, a former OCE deputy chief counsel, told Time magazine because it looks as though the office still lives. But in fact, it doesn't. Aaron Sherb, senior director of legislative affairs at the nonpartisan watchdog Common Cause, said uh, that the changes would, quote, handcuff and significantly weaken the OCE. In addition to the changes to the OCE, the rules package would also allow the public to file complaints directly with the bipartisan House Ethics Committee, which is composed of eight lawmakers, four from each party chaired by whichever party happens to hold the House majority at the time and which investigates any alleged violations of the House rules by lawmakers or staff. The Washington Post's Philip Bump reported the timing of the changes to both the OCE and the House Ethics Committee is notable. Before it adjourned at the end of the 117th Congress, Bump wrote the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol riot recommended that the House Ethics Committee investigate the refusal of several Republican members of Congress to respond to requests for information that the committee had sent. And while that was never likely to go anywhere because the new Congress's Republican control not only meant that the House January 6th committee was doomed, but it also meant that there would be little appetite for follow up on a committee now chaired by a member of the GOP. But the Office of Congressional Ethics could certainly investigate that matter, even if the House Ethics Committee wouldn't. And those GOP uh, members would be investigated. Just as the House January 6th committee requested, its mandate includes looking at violations of, quote, law, rule, regulations and other standard of conduct by members of the House. Unless, of course, as Bump notes, it lacks the staff to do so. Craig Holman, a longtime government affairs lobbyist with the good government group Public Citizen, issued a statement in advance of the passage of the rules package, criticizing the proposed changes at OCE, charging the quote, These are measures that will render the ethics office ineffectual and which no member from either party should support. He added, today's Republican Party is rife with ethical transgressions and it is now trying to make it much harder to hold members of Congress accountable to the standards of decency we expect. There are still standards of decency that we expect in Congress? Well, that's good to know, even if hard to imagine. Joining us today after Republicans did, in fact, finally pass their rules package, if a week or so late, is Craig Holman, an expert on campaign finance reform, government ethics, lobbying practices, and the impact of money in politics at Public Citizen, where he serves as their Capitol Hill lobbyist on government affairs. He's also a longtime friend of this program now, and we're happy to have back for the first time this year. Mr. Holman, welcome back to the Bradcast, sir, and Happy New Year, my friend.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here, Brad.
0: So were these changes to the Office of Congressional Ethics, the OCE, and to the Bipartisan House Ethics Committee actually adopted in the new uh, GOP rules package as proposed? And before we get to what they will actually mean in practice, can you help me understand... The difference and the relationship between those two separate bodies, the OCE and the House Ethics Committee, uh, as I understand it, I, I'm having trouble understanding which is which and and how exactly they're different.
1: That is the critical element of what's going on here. The ethics process in Congress, in both the House and the Senate, has historically been run by members of Congress themselves. Mm-hmm. So we've got this permanent committee called the House Ethics Committee Mm -hmm. that is uh, run by by, uh, members of Congress who are very, very reluctant to be critical of their fellow colleagues. Mm -hmm. They operate in secret, so even if anyone did file a complaint with the House Ethics Committee, that does not become public record. They will do their investigations sometimes, but we never really know what they found or what they ended up recommending Mm -hmm. because they operate in secret. So the problem is, I mean, the House Ethics Committee is literally designed to sweep ethics matters under the rug so Mm that the public doesn't know what's going on. In 2008, as part of the huge ethics and lobby reform package that we passed, so the Honest Leadership and Open Government Act, we created an outside, independent office of congressional ethics. You can't be a lobbyist. You can't be a member of Congress to serve on OCE. You've got to actually be an outsider. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, staffed by eight board members, mm-hmm. four Republicans, four Democrats, And and it has done a phenomenal job at opening up the whole ethics process. The key difference with OCE, even though OCE doesn't have any actual enforcement authority, Mm -hmm. it does an actual investigation and then publishes publishes Mm -hmm. the results of that investigation. Mm -hmm. And when it becomes public record... That has compelled the House Ethics Committee to actually do something. Hmm. I mean, I took a look at the history of the House Ethics Committee, and prior to Jack Abramoff, I could only find uh, five, five different uh, cases in which they issued some sort of sanctions. Wow. During the whole Jack Abramoff period, which was about a two-year period, yeah. there were five more because it was Jack Abramoff. And then we set up the OCE in 2008, and it suddenly jumped up to 20 within just a matter of a couple of years.
0: Really? So
1: beca- because the OCE does these very professional investigations, uh-huh. they do n- they do not actually come out and say they're guilty or not guilty. But they do a full investigation and that report becomes public. And that makes the House Ethics Committee actually do its job.
0: So when Listen. when House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, as he did last week, I believe, uh, when he was asked about, you know, this uh, George Santos, this liar and fabulist, or Anthony DeVolder, which appears to be his actual name before he ran for Congress. When McCarthy was asked about Santos and whether he should be seated, McCarthy said, well, he is seated. If there's a concern, he will go through ethics. That according to the man who apparently just you know passed a package to kill the Office of Congressional Ethics. But when McCarthy refers to going through ethics, do you have any idea what he was talking about? Was he talking about the OCE or the House Ethics uh, Committee? Uh, which would be the appropriate route for something like this?
1: Well, the appropriate route would be the Office of Congressional Ethics, which is public. Mm-hmm. But what McCarthy has in mind is he is essentially gutting OCE, so there will not be a public investigation, either of McCarthy violating the subpoena rules, uh-huh. or, of, or of George Santos. Instead, those complaints would just go to the House Ethics Committee itself, which operates in secret, mm-hmm. and whatever they're going to do with it, uh, we probably won't even know, unless George Santos or McCarthy wants to tell us. Uh, uh, you, you see, this, yeah. this is part of McCarthy's plan. I mean, he, he wants to keep this stuff non-public, and that way they can they can just sort of sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. If, if OCE still existed, and, and this is a big if, we don't know if they're going to be able to get together in 30 mm-hmm. days or not. If they still existed, they would pick up these cases on their own, and they would do their own independent investigations mm-hmm. and release a public record of it. And that is something McCarthy just could not tolerate.
0: And and the House Ethics Committee itself, it's uh, eight, I believe, eight members, four Republicans, four Democrats, The uh, whoever has the majority in the House at the time chairs it. But as you say, it it stays secret, any investigation. And I presume there's penalties, right? If the, for example, in a case like this, if they investigated Santos, they found some wrongdoing, but... They tied four to four. It would go nowhere, and it would die in the committee. And there would be penalties for any uh, Democrats on that committee who actually discussed publicly what it was that they learned or what they decided in that House committee, correct?
1: That's right. The whole history of the House Ethics Committee just shows that they really are there uh, to protect their fellow colleagues. They are not there to try to issue punishments. They really don't want to stir up the nest and make any kind of controversial decisions. So, uh, they, they just, I mean, if this is the end of it, if we lose our, our public accountability through OCE, you can expect, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be nothing coming up from no. the House Ethics Committee regarding George Santos or, uh, you know, or the Speaker.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Kevin McCarthy and uh, his failure to answer to the subpoena of the January 6th Committee. There was also uh, the January 6th Committee asked uh, for uh, probes of Pennsylvania's Scott Perry, Ohio's Jim Jordan, uh, along with McCarthy and others for failing to answer subpoenas for documents and questions and so forth. When the House January 6th Committee was asking for an ethics investigation, were they asking the House Ethics Committee or were they asking essentially for the Office of uh, Congressional Ethics to do that probe?
1: They were referring it to the general ethics process, which means the House Ethics Committee could have taken it up had they wanted Mm -hmm. to but uh, also leaving it open for OCE Mm -hmm. to step in and actually deal with this issue. So they just made the referral to the congressional ethics process itself. And, and quite frankly, uh, only OCE would have picked this up.
0: So unless uh, there were changes in the final rules package that was passed, I know there were two major concerns that you and Public Citizen and some of the other good government groups were uh, very concerned about on the uh, Office of Congressional Ethics. One... Says that uh, any member of the board, the OCE board, currently serving in excess of, I think it's an eight year limitation on terms, shall be considered removed from the board. And two, the provision regarding appointment and compensation of staff shall require an affirmative vote of at least four members of the board not later than 30 calendar days after the date of the adoption of this resolution. So, uh, A, were those uh, measures adopted, uh, Craig Holman, as originally proposed? And if so, what are your specific concerns about each of them?
1: They were adopted, and it's a one-two punch to shut down the Office of Congressional Ethics. First of all, the term limits just applies to the Democratic members. So you've got three of four Democrats who are now terminated from the board of directors of, of OCE. Uh, that means there are three voting Republicans and one voting Democrat that will have to staff the entire Office of Congressional Ethics within 30 days. Now, if they were to work in harmony and unanimously agree on the staffing positions, OCE could continue to function. But I would fully expect McCarthy to apply pressure on the Republicans not to allow that type of unanimous consent. Then we get to the second punch. And the second punch is the board only has 30 days to staff the entire Office of Congressional Ethics and then cannot make any changes after that 30-day window. Well, it's going to take Jeffries more than 30 days to reappoint three more uh, Democratic board members So the board is largely going to be dysfunctional, and after that 30-day window, the whole staff of OCE gets fired. You see, it's it's a very, very strategic one-two punch to close down the ethics process. You know, back in 2017, Uh the last time Republicans took over the House, they tried to shut down OCE as well, but there they did it much more blatantly. They were just passing a rules change that shuts down OCE. Mm-hmm. That brought this huge wave of public protest. You know, I, I found out about it the night before Congress, the House was going to convene the next day at mm-hmm. 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I'm thinking it's too late. I don't know what I can do. and So I just started tweeting about it. And the tweets went viral mm-hmm. to the point where when... And when Congress was about to convene the next morning, they got so many phone calls that shut down their phone system, the Republican caucus panicked and ran down into the basement to reconsider that uh, change to eliminate OCE. And it took them a good three or four hours before they finally did convene Congress, and they decided to drop their effort to eliminate OCE. This time around, McCarthy played it smarter. It was more subtle, mm. uh, so it made it difficult to try to get the public mobilized on this. We we got a lot of phone calls and emails going in to the wow. House complaining about it, but it wasn't the same sort of public reaction we were able to garner in 2017.
0: Well, and it seems like yeah, he's subtle about it, uh, and the Office of Congressional Ethics will still exist. But if it exists this way, uh, it sounds from your description, it'll have three Republicans, it'll have one Democrat at best. They won't be able to hire anyone else, and it can it will it even go forward as a body in the, in that way over the next two
2: years?
1: It will not because after that thirty-day window, uh, there's no staff. So there's no investigators. There's there's no one able to do the work of OCE. So it will effectively shut down OCE. Now, what I am trying to do right now is I, I'm trying to like get Jeffries mm-hmm. to make three very fast, rapid appointments to the board of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, d- I don't think you can do that. I mean, the vetting process just takes longer than a month. you got to find someone who's willing to put in a lot of time for very little pay uh-huh. uh, to be on a board that is not very popular among members of Congress. Mm. And that's that's hard to do. But I'm encouraging Jeffries to try to do it as fast as possible.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And then I am also going to be appealing Uh, to the House itself, especially the Rules Committee, to to basically sidestep that 30-day window. You know, no other committee in the House is required to staff everybody within 30 days, and then they can't do anything (laughs) after 30 days. No other committee. And so I'm asking the House Rules Committee to interpret the same rules that apply to every other committee, to OCE, Mm-hmm. So we can we can staff it after that thirty day window, but that's not how the rules are written uh, uh, at this point. McCarthy is winning to shut down OCE. We'll see what happens. Here.
0: Is there a way to um, you know if the rules committee does not agree with you that uh, it should be interpreted a different way? Can rules be changed in the middle of a, a congressional session, a, a term, or do you have to wait for another two years and we're stuck with these particular rules?
1: The rules change can officially be made at any time right. by, by the entire House. But there's no reason to assume the Republican majority will revisit uh, that rule mm-hmm. unless, unless we can get, a, a, you know, unless we can mobilize the public to right. show their disdain for what the Republicans have bolded off here. Oh. But, you know, my, my hope is that the House Rules Committee is just going to interpret that rule as saying, well, that's impractical. We're going to apply the same rule to every committee. However, you know, House Rules Committee also is run by the yes. Republican caucus. So exactly. As, it, it, yeah. it looks it looks It doesn't look good no, at this point. No,
0: it, it, it does not. Uh, and it's quite troubling. As I noted during the intro, uh, Craig, in addition to the changes to the OCE itself, the rules package would also allow the public to file complaints directly with the bipartisan House, house Ethics Committee. So what does that mean exactly? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Does it in, in any way make up for what appears to be the destruction of the Office of Congressional Ethics, the OCE?
1: It's a good thing, but it's not going to make up much. It's not going to make much difference. Uh, first of all, part of the reason why we created OCE in 2008 was the House Ethics Committee decided that they were just going to wash their hands of complaints from groups like Public Citizen mm-hmm. or Common Cause. Mm-hmm. So they shut it down and prohibited the public from filing any kind of ethics complaint with the House Ethics Committee. So we created OCE uh, to accept public complaints. Mm-hmm. And and we also made their whole the nature of the job entirely public. And that's that's made all the difference. Now it's it's good that to allow the public to file complaints with the House Ethics Committee. But once again I wanna point out they operate in secret. Yeah. You know, uh, yep. we're not gonna know what's ever come of any of those complaints yeah. that the public may have filed. If I file a complaint with the House Ethics Committee, I'll send out a press release so mm-hmm. everyone knows I filed this complaint. Mm-hmm. But then it's up to the House Ethics Committee to tell us what they did with it, and and we're not going to hear much from them.
0: Now, by the way, if uh, uh, Hakeem Jeffries does appoint three people quickly within this 30-day uh, time period now that's being imposed... If he does come up with those names, they still have to be approved by four members of the existing board. There's three Republicans, one Democrat. Is there any reason to believe that even if he came up with those names, those uh, members, all four members, uh, would not vote in favor of those new appointments?
1: Well, the the board itself, uh, since O.C. was created, Tends to make unanimous decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, it, they're not as polarized as as Congress is, and the House Ethics Committee. However, y- you know, if y- you've got three Republicans, uh, some of them are going to a- acquiesce to mm-hmm. uh, McCarthy's demands. Mm-hmm. So if we got if we got a full Democratic board and a full Republican board, I'd expect we'd be able to get at least you know one Republican, maybe two. To go ahead with uh, staffing the office of congressional ethics, that, that that would that would probably save OCE. But I've I've never seen the board board positions filled that rapidly. Wow,
0: uh, grim news. Uh, by the way, Craig Holman, if Hakeem Jeffries wanted to appoint you, would you accept that nomination, sir?
1: I'm a lobbyist, so I'm prohibited from serving.
0: <laughs> I see. <laughs> That's how you're going to get out of it, eh? I got gotcha. you. All right. Uh, <laughs> Craig Holman, uh, thank you so much for <laughs> explaining this. Please keep us up to date if anything uh, changes here or if there's any way that we can help uh, get the word out. By the way, is there anything that, that uh, listeners can do to help this situation at this time?
1: Uh, they can uh, contact their, the Republican caucus in the House and express their concern that the ethics process is being shut down. Mm. If If I can't If if we can't get the House Rules Committee to come out with a more balanced interpretation of the new rules, then we've got to push for a rules change, and that's going to require some Republican support.
0: Craig Holman serves as Public Citizen's Capitol Hill lobbyist on ethics, lobbying, and campaign finance rules. You can find their important work at citizen.org. You can find them on the Twitters at public underscore citizen. You can also find Craig there uh, personally. He is CB Holman on Twitter. Craig, uh, great speaking with you, sir, even if it's another grim topic. But do, as I say, stay in touch and let us know if we can help in any way. This is nuts.
1: It's a pleasure, Brad. And thanks for taking up the story.
0: My, I guess I, I would love to say my pleasure, but uh, thanks, Craig. I appreciate it, sir. Take care. Okay. Uh, let's take a quick break here. Come back okay. with uh, there is uh, another committee, actually, this case, a commission, uh, uh, an executive branch commission that is also evenly split, just like the House committee. Oh, yes. On ethics. That. Um, also, rarely, if ever, gets anything done. Rarely actually does anything. And they have done something. What? A little something. Okay. For an old friend of ours in Kansas. That story is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
3: What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
1: All in it's just the wall.
3: Yeah.
0: That's what it seems. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. So last week, Democratic Governor Laura Kelly called for leaders in Republican leaning Kansas to follow the lead of the state's residents and quote, turn down the volume on this hate, this vitriol, this divisiveness in politics. Good luck with that, Governor. That, as she started her second term in uh, as governor, this time alongside a new hard-right state attorney general in Kansas. Kelly and other statewide elected officials took their oaths of office under banners hung on the south side of the state house. One declaring innovation, and the others unity and prosperity. The inauguration ceremony also capped a big political comeback for. Uh, our old friend, Chris Kobach.
3: Oh, boy.
0: The uh, now Kansas State's new Attorney General, believe it or not. Over two decades, Kobach gained a national reputation by advocating for strict immigration and voting restrictions. Under pretend claims of massive voter fraud by Democrats that he was unable to find any actual evidence of during his two years, two terms, his eight years as Kansas's secretary of state, as he became a lightning rod for controversy in the state, he remains one even as he becomes the state's now top law enforcement official. Even as he is the top cop in the state, he is busy paying off fines for having violated the law in recent years as he had lost election after election before his recent comeback in last November's election. Since we were speaking with Craig Holman there about the House Ethics Committee, an evenly balanced Republican Democratic committee that therefore never actually gets anything done, it's worth noting there's also another similar body, albeit this one in the executive branch. That would be the Federal Election Commission or FEC, which is also evenly split between Republican and Democratic appointees and also almost never penalizes anybody for anything, largely because Republicans prevent them from doing so. But guess what? The Federal Elections Commission has levied a $30,000 fine on the newly elected Kansas Attorney General Chris Kobach. Yes, their top law enforcement official is being fined on his way into office. This should go well. Uh, while things went pretty well for Democrats last year, even in Kansas, it looks like the longtime far-right GOP voter fraud fraudster and two-term former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach was finally able to resurrect his disgraceful political career somehow, even as the FEC finally levied this fine against him. And against a private border wall organization, a border wall scam, I should note, in fact, uh, that Kobach was once affiliated with due to campaign finance violations committed during Kobach's failed 2020 U.S. Senate bid. He didn't even get past the primary in that one. In an agreement approved by the FEC last month, about a week after Kobach was elected, he admitted to illegally accepting an in-kind contribution from We Build the Wall, the Steve Bannon-linked group, which ran a fundraising campaign to build a border wall, a private border wall, claiming that every penny would be given to that effort. Every penny that was donated to it would go to building that wall. None of it would go to Steve Bannon. None of it would certainly go to the election of Chris Kobach. (laughs) And this group raised tens of millions of dollars. So all the money did not go to the wall. Instead, it went to other people like Bannon and Kobach. Right into their
3: pockets.
0: The far-right scammer group... Well, that ran this whole project, they became ensnarled in all sorts of allegations of fraud. In 2019, Kobach's campaign rented We Build the Wall's 295,000-person email list for just $2,000, which is a price significantly below the normal rate. So not only were they taking money, scamming these people, playing them for dupes, taking their money, but then... They were selling their email addresses to Republican candidates to use. And by the way, they were selling them for far under the going rate that they could have accepted to, you know, help build the wall.
3: I'm sure all the people who donated to that effort are happy to know their their personal identifiable data was held so cheap.
0: Well, guess what? I suspect they don't even know because this store because they watch Fox News and I suspect
1: Fox News never
0: ran this story. The campaign was also accused of additional campaign finance violations in connection with We Build the Wall. But the FEC, which is so incredibly broken that I'm stunned they even issued this soft penalty of $30,000 made up of three Democrats, three Republicans who were chosen to make sure that the FEC never holds any Republican accountable for anything so that's why this is kind of amazing in and of itself. In this case they either dismissed the other allegations Or they were equally divided on them, so they could not enforce them. As CNN gently describes him, Kobach is an immigration hardliner, longtime spreader of false election claims, who served as Kansas Secretary of State from 2011 to 2019, has close ties to former President Donald Trump. Kobach was narrowly elected Kansas Attorney General in November, defeating Democrat Chris Mann 51 to 49 percent in the, well, normally reliably red state, though they did reelect Kelly to a second term as governor on the very same ballot where she defeated the state's former Republican attorney general. Kobach's victory came after two consecutive defeats in recent election cycles where he lost the bid for the governorship in 2018 to Laura Kelly and for the uh, GOP nomination for the U.S. Senate In 2020, he previously served on We Build the Walls board and as the organization's general counsel, overseeing all of their criming as their attorney and now overseeing the state of Kansas as their top law enforcement official. Two men, by the way, so far have pleaded guilty in federal court. In this uh, we build the wall scam, another was convicted of defrauding donors in connection with it. Steve Bannon and the organization itself are now facing charges in New York state. And that is good because Bannon, who has pleaded not guilty to state charges, had previously been indicted on federal charges in federal court for fraud carried out while working with this group. But he was, of course, pardoned by then President Donald Trump at the end of his term. No wonder these guys hate everything to do with ethics and the rule of law. And yes, are even trying themselves to defund the police now in Congress by trying to gut the funding for the IRS investigators and even for the FBI.
3: Well, it's nice to see the FEEC is not completely useless.
0: Just damn near. Anyway, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Craig Holman, of public citizen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated and a great honor. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. There is no paywall there. Thanks to those of you kind enough to support our efforts by clicking on one of those donate buttons or stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to hear from you. And you will find me on the Facebooks, the Twitters, and the Mastodons at the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
2: On this day in labor history, the year was 1909. That was the day the United States Supreme Court decided the case Moyers versus Peabody. The case grew out of the Colorado Labor Wars, a series of back-to-back strikes in 1903 and 1904 in the precious metals mines and ore mills. The Colorado National Guard meted out violent assaults, arrests, and deportations against strikers, often on orders from Colorado Governor James Peabody. The state militia routinely rounded up strikers and union leaders, detained them for weeks in bullpens, and ignored their habeas corpus petitions. Western Federation of Miners President Charles Moyer arrived in Telluride during a strike to find these repressive conditions. He signed a poster that read Is Colorado in America? The poster included an image listing the many violations of basic democratic rights on the American flag. Moyer was arrested in March of 1904 for desecration of the American flag on the poster he was detained on the grounds of military necessity even after the courts ordered his release his case traveled through the state and federal courts until the supreme court ruled they held that the governor and officers of a state national guard acting in good faith and under authority of law may imprison without probable cause a citizen of the united states in times of insurrection and deny that citizen the right of habeas corpus The ruling radicalized the labor movement. Many concluded there could be no justice through the court system. A later case successfully challenged the ruling on the basis that the claims of insurrection were subject to judicial review. The ruling, however controversial, still stands today and was invoked after 9-11 in the 2004 ruling Hamdi v. Rumsfeld. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Labor Two.